please listen for the prayer of illumination. Gracious God, as we turn to your word for us, may the spirit of God rest upon us. Help us to be steadfast in our hearing, in our speaking, in our believing, and in our living. Amen. Today's first scripture reading is Psalm 9, verses 9 to 20, can be found on page 493. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble, and those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the peoples. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See what I suffer from those who hate me. You are the one who lifts me up from the gates of death, so that I may recount all your praises, and in the gates of daughter Zion rejoice in your deliverance. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made. In the net that they hid has their own foot been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall depart to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor perish forever. Rise up, O Lord, do not let mortals prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are only human. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Maureen. Well, again, good morning and welcome. We're going to continue on in our series this morning in the book of 1 Samuel. We'll enter back into the story where young David and King Saul are facing down an army of Philistines and their challenger, Goliath. This is a familiar story for many of us. But if it's not, just know that this is an epic showdown between the armies that have been warring over territory for years. Goliath, the challenger, has sauntered onto the battlefield to offer a challenge to the Israelite army. And we pick up with David and Saul interacting in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's a longer passage of scripture, but it paints the picture of who Goliath is and David's response to God's faithfulness. So verse 32 says, David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail you because of him. Your servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are just a boy, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and whenever a lion or bear came, he took the lamb and took a lamb from the flock. I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. If it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw and strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears. This Philistine shall be like the one of them since he has defied the armies of the living God. 
David said, The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of the Philistine. So Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Saul clothed David in his, in his army. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the army, and he tried, to, tried in vain to walk, for he was not used to them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these. I'm not used to them. So David removed them. He took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi, the local, uh, from water nearby, and put them in his shepherd's bag, in the pouch, his sling in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Then the Philistine came on and drew near to David, and with his shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? The Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the wild animals of the field. But David said to the Philistine, You come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day I will deliver you into my hand, or the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air and the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that God is in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine drew nearer to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face on the ground. The word of the Lord. Now, I'm sure many of you know that I am a fan of epic adventure stories. Superheroes, science fiction, fantasy. The bigger the story, the higher the stakes, the better. And in these stories, there's always a moment when the big bad villain enters, ready to fight. Think of Darth Vader and his stormtroopers as they blast their way into Princess Leia's ship at the beginning of Star Wars. Think of the Wicked Witch of the West as she swoops in with her flying monkeys and tries to attack the faithful journeyers along the yellow brick road. Think of mighty Sauron's eye in the distance taunting the Fellowship of the Ring as they journey toward Mordor in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. It is with this swagger and gusto, this pomp and circumstance, that Goliath steps onto the battlefield. In a commentary I read this week, the interpreter translates the action of his movement out into the battlefield as he sallied forth onto the ground to await his challenger. And as the villain swaggers in, we are meant to gasp and contemplate retreat. 
How could we battle such a strong, formidable foe? Who are we to even try? But what if it is all gusto and show? That the strength is just a ruse, that it's an act. What if it's a projection, but perhaps it's hiding a deeper vulnerability? In the shepherd boy David's response, we see a faithfulness that trusts in God's hand to provide in the face of such an opponent. David faces down the giant and unmasks his power, which sets the Israelites free to respond and be victorious over their enemies. Let us pray. Lord, as we hear from this text this morning, I ask that you would open us up to the way we might hear your good news here. Lord, help us to pare back battlefield imagery, swords and fighting, and see the way you are working in faithfulness to your people, your humble servants. Lord, we don't bring gusto or swagger to this fight. We bring humility and authenticity, earnestness. And so, Lord, go with us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So a classic take on the Goliath and David story is that God shows us how to overcome giants, to get past obstacles, that the power and the mighty are struck down. Just a few smooth stones and some courage, and we can defeat our enemies. I remember loving this story as a kid. It's epic. And for me, it, it was a precursor to loving all of those epic movies with grand battles and big villains. But I think this take on the text can actually oversimplify what's going on here. And if we believe that this text has deeper meaning beyond just a fight between good and evil, then we have to pause and explore it a bit. Evil bad guys, as much as it may seem, they're not actually all that common for us to have to go out and confront in our world these days. And as far-fetched as it might be for any of us to find ourselves in a battle, it's much more common for us to find ourselves facing evils that are much more difficult to name. The problems of our world are more insidious. They're more structural, more systemic, and more difficult to confront than a battlefield. But they exist nonetheless. Evils like racism, which creeps into our language, our organizations, who we choose to follow, and how we respond to difference in the world. This is a big bad villain, but it's harder to know how to rightly defeat this issue. Or hypocrisy, or bigotry, or entitlement, these are complicated issues and matters of our hearts that so many of us struggle to overcome. What good news does this text have for us as we consider these giants? How does God lead us to work in dismantling these structures with more than smooth stones and a lucky shot? I want to take us into this story beyond a simple reading of David overcoming Goliath because God wanted him to be victorious. I want us instead to see courage and faithfulness here. Now, the deeper good news is that it's not really about David's actions at all, 
but rather God's persistent faithfulness to David, which he trusts deeply, that he can draw upon and move towards and reflect upon as he steps onto the field. David can go out in confidence because of God's faithfulness. By the way, the interpreter also says that David sallied forth onto the battlefield too. Good on you, David. <laughs> There's what uh, in Hebrew we would call chutzpah here, or courage. Because God has been faithful, David trusts that God leads him in that same faithfulness. God, David's report to Saul that he can do this because of his feats against bears and lions is noteworthy, but ultimately it's a statement about God's faithful leading. God is the one doing this. We know how the story goes. David, accompanied by the power of God, the Lord of hosts, is able to deliver victory over Goliath with one perfectly aimed stone. But what does this victory mean in the context of the real struggles we face every day? What does it mean to confront, to say, uh, in, engage a worldwide pandemic, for instance? What does it mean to do that with smooth stones? Or what does it mean to stand up to hatred and bigotry? So let's take a breath here. And remember that moment when the big bad villain had sallied forth onto the battlefield. I invite each of you to put yourself in David's shoes. What would it be like to watch the challenger swagger out and hear his taunts and jeers? Isn't this a moment of choice for us? This is a moment where we have an opportunity to turn and run. Isn't this a place for us to at least look around at one another and shrug our shoulders and say, not it. I'm not going out on the battlefield. No way. When the villain advances, we come to a moment of truth. Who will we be in the face of such adversity? Who will we be when all that is normal is pour, pulled out from under us? Who will we be when injustice rages or bigotry rears its ugly face. You see, this is an inroad for us to seeing the greater challenges that we face in the world through the lens of this scripture. Sure, many of us will never be taunted to fight against a big bad villain. We don't wield swords and shields. And as much as we'd like to think that we know our way around a slingshot, we're better uh, it's better likely that we will shoot an eye out or break a window than actually do any good or harm to our opponent. But this gives us a moment of insight into the issues of our world. Yesterday, as I mentioned earlier, yesterday our nation honored officially Juneteenth for its first federal holiday. Now, for many years, Black people in our country have celebrated the day when final enslaved men and women heard the news of the Emancipation Proclamation, which set slaves free following the Civil War. The 19th of June has been honored by people of our nation who have so long been held 
under the oppressive hand of racism and enslavement. And now, collectively, our nation is stepping in and saying, yes, we want to honor and remember this and learn and grow and heal as well. And so it is a moment of truth for us. Will we step in and be a part of the battle to overcome structural racism and dismantle it within ourselves? Or will we look to others around us to do the work instead? Or will we hightail it out of there and leave the fight? As with any action, there is a reaction, a movement counter to the prevailing hopes. And certainly we've seen this kind of cowardice and leaving the battlefield this week. Rather than do the work to learn and undo the callousness of racism and white supremacy, many people have argued that this holiday is unnecessary. Politicians have opposed it. Armchair pundits have denounced critical race theory. And regular folks like you and me have squirmed at what it means to engage this celebration with authenticity and humility. But there are those among us and in the world who are like David, courageously entering in. I have to qualify some of the language here. I'd like to move outside of the imagery of battle and fight for a moment and instead consider what is going on here as either an opportunity to turn towards or to turn away from an issue. In relationship, when there is disruption and there is pain, we have a choice to turn away, to run from the pain, to ignore it and hope it goes away, or we can turn towards, to encounter the pain and see what needs healing. We can draw closer to the other, the one who we've harmed or who has harmed us, and we can work through that struggle. This is the same thing we're looking at when it comes to honoring the end of slavery and the celebration of liberation for black folks in America. White folks like me, we can choose to turn away and pretend that this isn't our problem. It's not our fight. Or we can humbly turn toward, knowing that we have so much to learn, so much in us that needs healing, so many relationships that need repair. Friends, this is what David does. He turns toward Goliath. With trust in God's faithfulness to lead him through, he turns toward the fight. I can't imagine David was fully arrogant enough that he could believe that he would best Goliath. I, I, just, I cannot imagine that. But that's where the courage and reliance on God comes in. He enters into this engagement not knowing that he will certainly survive, but with conviction and courage that what he's fighting for is worth it anyway. And so it is with us. The question must be, friends, are you willing to enter in? Are we willing to gather up the smooth stones from the riverbed, the little bit that we have, and enter courageously into the work of restoration and healing in our fractured communities? Or will we wander off 
go absent without leave. Turn away from the work and let it be someone else's fight. Now, it breaks my heart to see people wander off like that. I know many of us have felt that over the last few years. The turmoil of our nation, the weight of this pandemic. For some, it has made us want to retreat and to turn away. But there have been so many of us whom these struggles have galvanized our courage. It has been something that has turned in us, a cry that calls us forth with greater compassion and a willingness to participate. It's been something of a battle cry. The struggles for racial healing, political cooperation, and faithful service in the name of Jesus Christ, these are, willing, are, are, these are worthy battle, battles for us to be willing to step into. And I must say this as I close, that as the people of God, this must be who we will be. We must do this. We must take heart and stand courageous. We must know that God is faithful. And certainly, the struggles will be hard. But God is faithful. And we know that we do not walk alone. We can look around this room and in our community and say, God is with us. We do this hard work together in the name of Jesus Christ. So let's step up and do it. Amen?